You're listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May you be challenged and encouraged by this message. Having the affections of your heart stirred towards greater love and understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to John 15. I'd like for us to see this morning the first 17 verses of John 15. John 15, verses 1 through 17. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Jesus said this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. And and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servants does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have been made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed to you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask my Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Can we pray one more time? Father, we thank you for your word now that's been read. And as we, as we have enjoyed this time of fellowship, this time of singing, this time of focusing our minds and heart towards the Savior. I pray that as we now unpack these verses, that you would just cause in us the right response, that we would say amen to these truths, that you, Holy Spirit, would do the work that only you can do in our hearts. For some, that that today will be the day of salvation, For others, those who are yours, that there will be a resolve to live for Jesus, that we will leave this place changed. So bless this time. Help me now to hide behind the truths of your word. As in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
It was several years ago that my father and I, in my backyard, we planted a mango tree. We, we do live in Miami. Mangoes are everywhere. I remember that day where we opened up this ginormous hole, bigger than I would have ever done, but my dad was persistent. This is the hole that we need to make for this specific tree. It was a small tree, about three feet high or so. And when we planted this tree, my dad, who is an old farmer from, um, from his past life when he lived in the island of Cuba, he went ahead and found this older tree and he took some branches from the older tree that was already producing fruit and grafted it into this new young tree in my backyard. Because you see, in order for a young tree, in order for you not to have to wait six, seven, eight years for it to bear fruit, you graft it with a branch of an older tree that is already uh, programmed, designed to bear fruit immediately. And so with these seven or eight branches that he brought to the mango, a tree, he grafted these branches, and most of them survived, but some of them did not survive. Some of them, after they were there and wrapped in the, in the tape, after a while, they, they just withered away and died. But those who did indeed, you know, get some life from the tree began to immediately sprout. And before you know it, it had new leaves. And by the next year, we were actually reaping the fruit of this tree, now producing mangoes. I bring this illustration of this true story of my own life to remind us of this truth, that genuine believers, those who have been grafted into Jesus Christ, produce spiritual fruit because their source of life is Jesus himself. And Jesus speaks this way also in the parable of the sower, as a sower who is spreading seeds along, there are some who fell along the path and, and they were devoured by birds and it never lasted. And there are those who fell upon the rocky ground and before you know it, it sprung up, but, but the soil wasn't deep enough and it was scorched by the sun. And those who fell upon the, th uh, the weeds and the thorns were those who were choked out. But there were some seeds that fell in fertile soil. And those were the seeds that produced fruit. And so we can rest assured that those in Jesus' teaching in these two parables, but in this one specifically, he is teaching us that true disciples have been grafted to the divine root, who is Christ. He is the one who is the fertile soil that when we are connected to him, we will produce fruit. And so some theologians would call this union with Christ. To be united to him is to have spiritual life. And to have spiritual life is to be fruit-bearing. So there is, no th there is no life outside of Jesus that is not a life that is fruit-bearing. Uh, what makes you a, a believer is not being affiliated to a certain denomination. It is not to outwardly participate in religious activity. It is not simply to imitate Jesus. It is to have his life flowing through your life because you've been connected, grafted to him. And so what I want us to see this morning, this main idea, it is this as we look at this text. If you have union with Christ, you could rejoice knowing that he is powerfully working in you. 
if we have union with Christ, we can rejoice knowing that he is powerfully working in us. Well, the context of this passage is that Jesus, he is preparing his disciples for his death that is imminent. He's preparing them because he's about to die. Little do they know that he's going to be risen from the dead and ascend to the right hand of the Father eventually. And he wants to help them understand. He wants to instruct them on what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to truly be his disciple after he is gone, after he is no longer with them. And he tells them before, in the previous chapter 14, he tells them the things that they will do amazing things. Chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, you will do the works that I do and even greater works they will do because he's going to return to the Father. And he promises them as well, verse 17, that the Holy Spirit will come to them, that he will dwell in them, verse 17, that the Holy Spirit will teach them, verse 26, and that they can live with peace and without fear, verse 27. Promises from the Lord Jesus Christ, giving his disciples these instructions, these promises, these truths, so that they would realize that although Jesus would, not, would no longer be present with them, that they could trust that he is still with them. So in chapter 15, he uses the illustration of the vine and the branches, so that then even when the day would come, where he is no longer with them, that they would not forget that the only way that their lives will produce spiritual fruit is through him. Christian, here today, your life will only produce spiritual fruit if you are indeed connected to the vine who is Jesus. So two truths about this idea of union with Christ that we could take away this morning. The first is this, that union with Christ makes us fruit-bearing disciples we see this in the first six verses. In verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Notice that when Jesus says he is the true vine, what he's automatically implying is that there's a false vine. Jesus, he, he called himself previously the true bread, in contrast with the manna that came from heaven that only represented him, but indeed was not him and so that there is a vine that there is a vine that is not the true vine jesus wants to remind especially his jewish listeners that they understood that in the old testament they were also described as a vine and they were aware of this in hosea chapter 10 it speaks of israel being a vine that yields its fruit but eventually that was removed from them in Isaiah chapter 5, in that most famous, right before Isaiah chapter 6, where, where most of us know the story of Isaiah, how he saw God on his throne and, and that whole moment where he sees this vision, right before that, Isaiah speaks of a vine dresser and a vine which is Israel and speaks of how God sees his vine. Let me sing for my beloved, it says, for my, my love song, concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard, and on his very fertile hill, he dug it. He removed the stones. 
He planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. But what did it yield? It says wild grapes. It never produced fruit. So Jesus is reminding them when he says that he is the true vine, he is saying that there was a vine described in the Old Testament that was not the true vine. Israel was not the true vine. Salvation was not found in Israel because the only thing that they produced was wild grapes. But what Jesus was saying to contrast himself from the nation of Israel, he was saying that he is the true vine, that only in him can one have a relationship with God. The way to God was not found in Israel, but rather it was found in Jesus. And this was for them an extraordinary revelation, that you wouldn't have to be a citizen of Israel to be made right with God. That all the rituals, the feasts, the observances, circumcision, sacrifices, Sabbath law, dietary laws, none of it will get you to a real relationship with God. So rather than becoming a Jew, a religious Jew, in order to find a way to God, what you needed was to become a follower, a disciple of Jesus. But notice immediately in verse 2 that Jesus describes two types of disciples. He describes false disciples and he describes true disciples. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Oh, he speaks of false disciples. They are cut out just like Judas was and the multitudes who initially followed Jesus, how many were hearing his message, but at the end of his ministry, they all abandoned him and only the few remained. There will always be those around Jesus, but are not true followers of Jesus. The church is full of people who religiously attend church who have a tradition in their lives of seeking God in this external religious way, churches are full of people that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. These are false disciples that eventually, he says, they will be cut out. But the true disciples, those who truly belong to Christ, who have been born again, grafted into the vine, here's the promise. They're pruned. They're pruned. They're connected to the vine, and indeed, if you have life in Jesus, know this, you will be pruned, not cut off, pruned. And he prunes you, the reason why he prunes us is in order for us to produce more fruit. And we can only imagine that pruning hurts, requires cutting, chopping, shaping, distorting, cleaning. So if it... And a few years ago, I was teaching at a conference in Texas. And in, in, in those years, because we were flat, broke, had no money, I would cut my own hair. And that morning, I'm just like, I had this whole setup, these three mirrors. I know how to do this. I've done it for years. You know, in the back, in the front, all these things, make myself look good. And that morning, before we left to the airport, the comb on the clippers fell off. And I gouged the line in my head. It was deep. It was all the way to the skull, to the cranium. And I'm like, 
I could not believe what just happened. So I speak with my wife, honey, I need you to fix this. And she looks at it and she's like, it cannot be fixed. Trust me. <laughs> it cannot be fixed. You have two options, razor your entire head or just leave with a scar. So sure enough, I went and I was, the shame and the pain, you could have thought that I was dying of cancer or something. This is how, how horrible I felt. And so I'm over there, it is what it is. And eventually I used my head as a, you know, as a, whole, as a whole illustration for everyone in my sermon. And I'm like, look, this is not a scar because I had at least two people thought who, I must have had brain surgery or something. You know, but I got like, no, this is just what happened. I'm, I feel the pain of this trauma of my hair being cut in this way. Oh, I guess I used that illustration to just tell us, man, when, when something like that is done to us, something is removed, something that we don't desire, it hurts. It makes us feel very awkward. And, but this is what the Lord does. He prunes us. He cuts away. He contorts. He cleans out. Why? For the purpose of us producing more fruit. And sometimes we fight the Lord in that process. But what we should be is thankful to the Lord for that process in our lives. We should praise him for his pruning because we should know that his pruning is good for us. Because in the pruning, it is when we will produce more fruit. And sometimes that looks like suffering. Sometimes it's very painful. Do you reject that in your life? Do you reject the Lord's pruning in your life, Christian. I know that there are other messages, other gospels, prosperity, you know, movements out there that believe that you shouldn't suffer at all if you belong to Jesus. Well, well Jesus says the opposite. If, if you are a believer, if you are part of the vine, if you've been grafted into the vine, the Lord is sanctifying you through a pruning process. And sometimes that even looks like suffering. Praise the Lord for that. Because imagine if we had no suffering in our lives. Imagine if life was easy as soon as you found Christ. Imagine if, if, if as soon as you became a believer, you would no longer have any problems, you would no longer have any anxiety or stress, that you could completely just rest in this life with no suffering whatsoever. I know this, that we would lose our dependency on the Lord. We would be of the most arrogant of people. We would feel that life would be easy and that the, and that the Lord is not worthy of our worship because the old man that's still in us would desire to find pleasure in our very own selves. We would use the Lord but not live for the Lord. But in the purposes of God, he allows this pruning. He allows this suffering in our lives. He knows what he's up to in our lives to sanctify us. It maintains us with our eyes fixed on him in such a way that then he who is transforming us into the image of his son can then be a people who bear fruit, disciples who bear fruit and much fruit. The sanctifying work of God in your life is intentional. And God is determined to prune you into the likeness of his son. And he'll do whatever it takes to finish the work that he began in you. Because God is most concerned not about your comfort, 
but about your fruit bearing. He's most concerned about you being a disciple to bear much fruit for him. So Christian, I ask you, what are you living for right now? What is the fear that is keeping you up at night? What are your relational struggles that you are having with others? What are the challenges that you are facing? What is bringing anxiety to your life? What is bringing lack of sleep? You name the situation in your life. You name the heat that might be upon you in this life. You must remember this, that God is with precision, pruning and shaping you in these very seasons so that in order for you to bear more fruit. So to that, we should say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, how is it that you enter into this pruning relationship with God? How is it that you become part of the vine? Well, it is through hearing the gospel, believing the gospel. And that's what Jesus has in mind in verse 3. You have already been grafted into the vine because you believed in my words. Because you believe the gospel one day, this is, it is through faith alone, in Christ alone. You heard his truth. You heard the gospel. You believed and your sins have been washed away. You're clean. And therefore, that being the only way in which you could be connected to the vine, the only way to have peace with God, that's why he then says, he gives us the imperative, abide in me. Abide in me and I in you. What does it mean to abide in him? At the very basic level, it means to be connected to the vine. It's for the sap of the vine to run through your spiritual life, through your spiritual veins. And then we are to live not as one who is rejected, but one who is pruned by the vine dresser, who is ready and who is willing, and by the grace of God, will be one who bears fruit. And what a calling upon our lives. And what a warning as well for those who do not trust in Jesus Christ that they will be cut off. Oh yes, salvation is by grace alone, in Christ alone, but when we have trusted in Jesus Christ, that faith that brought life to us and the Holy Spirit that abides in us is powerful, is transformative, it changes our affections in such a way that it causes us now to live as fruit-bearing disciples. And so for us who have trusted in Jesus, the imperative is clear. Abide in me. Because he says in verse 4, because Unless you abide in me, you cannot bear fruit. And he repeats in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, what are the things that Jesus has in mind that his disciples can or should do if they abide in him? Let me first state what can be done without abiding in Christ. There are many things that we could do without having to abide in Christ. For one, you can make a lot of money without abiding in Christ. 
You could become a famous athlete without abiding in Christ. You could get a great education without abiding in Christ. You could be an amazing businessman without abiding in Christ. You could raise a family without abiding in Christ. You could go to church without abiding in Christ. You could organize your community. You could feed the hungry. You could do so many things without abiding in Christ. Even more, you could be a pastor of a church without abiding in Christ. All these things and so much more that we could name can be done without abiding in him or do the things that prove to be of spiritual nature. You could bring a tree into your home in December and put lights on it and put balls on it and put all types of decorations and you know that that tree has no life. Eventually, it just withers out, dries out, and you throw it out, although it looks beautifully externally. You could staple mangoes to an oak tree here in Miami Shores, and, and you could invite all your friends. Look at the size of this tree. Look how much mangoes it has. You could staple 100,000 mangoes on this one tree. And for only so long will you be able to say, look at this mango tree. Eventually, all those mangoes rot and die because there's no spiritual, there is no life in them. It is only when we are connected to the vine who is Jesus and we abide in him is that something can be produced for him. So what are those things that could be produced? Well, at the very basic level, if you abide in him, if you're connected to the vine, then you can worship God. True worship can only happen when you've been connected, grafted into the vine who is Christ. When you were dead in your sins and trespasses and all you could do is religious external activities, it wasn't until your heart was transformed because you trusted in him by faith alone that now something has awakened in you. The spirit of God in you now has produced in you a life that can actually worship God. Worship God in a worship service, in song, and in the fellowship, but also in your very life. Romans 12. Off your body has a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that this is your worship. You can live your life as worship to God. You could also know what it means to love God because something has been awakened in you and you could know what it means to love others. Love God and love others is the greatest commandment that the Lord Jesus gave us. You could know what it is to have peace with God that's inexplicable. How you could be in the midst of incredible struggles in life and suffering and yet have this peace from the Lord and this joy from the Lord despite your circumstances. Oh, you could experience the freedom of the sanctifying work in your life. And you can know the fruit of the Spirit is at work in you. These are the things that the Spirit of God produces in us when we've been connected to the vine, which is Jesus. Because he says, apart from him, you can do nothing. Apart from him, at best, you could be a Pharisee. Apart from him, it's just external religious activity. But when we abide in him, it actually produces fruit in us. Lasting spiritual fruit because it is he, his life running through our life that actually makes us now Christians. 
And just a reminder that if anyone, verse 6, does not abide in me, even if he's externally religious, even if he's well-formed in his understanding of religion, even if he's from a family that has a pedigree of religious people, even if he has went to the best of seminaries and schools, Paul in Philippians 3 speaks about his pedigree, speaks about everything that he achieved in this life, and he counts it all as rubbish. Jesus says here, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's the alternative. To not have Christ, to not be grafted into Christ, to not have his life running through your spiritual veins. The end result is to be thrown out, burned up, judged by God. Union with Christ, to be a believer, makes us fruit-bearing Christians. Every time. Every time. Now, to what degree? To what speed? The apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, the Lord saved him. In a matter of three years, he's the apostle Paul writing 30 books of the Bible. That's his life. That's, that's of the Lord's purposes with him and his sanctifying work. With me, it's a much slower process. And with you, likely as well, in comparison to Paul. But rest assured that the trajectory is we are becoming more and more like Christ. Till the day of Christ, where we're finally glorified with him. A union with Christ makes us fruit-bearing disciples. That should bring comfort to us, that God is at work in our lives producing what only he could produce for his glory and our good. Amen. Now, in verses 17, 7 through 17, we find this idea that we could enjoy the fruit of our union with Christ. This process in our life of pruning that might be difficult at times, we have to submit to the Lord, how he is sanctifying us. It's not always fun. This we could, this process is something that we could rejoice in. Because here are three ways in which we can find joy in this process of being pruned by the Lord because we've been united to Christ. First is because we could know this, our prayers will be answered. To be connected to the vine or to Jesus is to have direct line to the root or direct access to God. Just like a mango tree will only produce mangoes, it will never produce oranges. The same is true in what comes out of believers that are connected to the vine. We pray in specific ways that are wrought out of us because of the Spirit in us. Our prayers align with God's desires. His desires become our desires because God is at work in the vine, pumping life to us through his branches who are us. And therefore, we could ask, Jesus says, whatever we want. He says in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus seems to suggest that one of the ways that serve as proof to being a true disciple of Jesus is that your prayers are answered. It is not that you get whatever you want. That's what prosperity preachers want, want you to believe. 
No, no, it is this life of walking with Jesus to have his spirit actually produces in us different desires that then our prayers the desires of our very own heart align with the heart of God because our ultimate desire is that Jesus would be magnified, that Jesus would be in our lives glorified, that our circumstances, that although they may be difficult, although suffering may be real, although there might be an absence of peace in this life, that our desires as we turn to God, our prayer life is wrought out by the Spirit of God that has changed us in such a way that now what we desire is something that God has deposited in us. Our prayers then are answered. The prayers, our desires that Jesus would be glorified in our lives. Not the prayers that are a self-benefiting Oh, because I really want this next job. I really want this new car. I really want this American dream lifestyle for myself. I want, I want, I want, I want for me, for me, for me. God might answer some of those. But those who have been grafted into the vine, those who belong to Jesus, their affections have changed in such a way that what what they actually say is, oh, Lord, that you will be glorified in my life that you will remove whatever needs to be removed, that you will remove the distraction of my life so that my life would count in this life for the sake and the fame of Christ. These who pray this way only pray this way because they've been grafted into the vine, because they have the Spirit of God. And these and only these are the ones who could be made known, who could be true disciples, of Jesus Christ, men and women of God. So one of the ways that we could rejoice in the fruit of our union with Christ is that our prayers are answered, but also because of loving obedience that comes out of us. Because in verse 9 through 11, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Oh, it's wrought in us to obey the Lord. We have a desire to live for Jesus and we understand that God the Father loves Jesus and that Jesus in turn has loved us with the same type of love. And when we have believed that, acknowledged that, experienced that, then we love him back as a demonstration of our love to him. The way that that is demonstrated is through obedience. The way we abide in Jesus is to remain in his love. And the way we remain in his love is through our obedience. Jesus is not saying, if you want it, If you want me to love you, you have to obey me. No, what he's saying is that if you love me, you demonstrate it through obedience. Because it is born in you to want to obey the Lord, not for salvation, but because of salvation. Yes, we might struggle, we might stumble along, but at the end of the day, for those who are in Christ, those who have union with Christ, their ultimate desire is communion with Christ relationship with the Father, to call him Abba, Father. In 1 John 2, verses 1 through 6, it says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
He is the he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for and not for ours only, but but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says I know Him but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I believe it was Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan, who speaks about our lives as an onion. An onion has all these layers, and if you remove all the layers of our lives, all, all of our humanity, all of our sinful flesh, the old man, for those who abide in him, as you remove every single layer of the things that impede us from worshiping God fully and perfectly, if you remove all the layers, what you have at the very center, at the core, is someone who is in deep love with God. Because there, there has happened some, something has happened in their lives where their hearts have been transformed in such a way that their desire is obedience. Christians desire to obey their Savior. But also we could say that it's also through loving sacrifice. You know, when I officiate weddings occasionally, I regularly preach out of Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. We speak of marriage being this call upon this couple's life, this love that they share between husband and wife. And wives are called to submit to their husbands as they submit to Christ as an act of sacrificial love and obedience. And husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loves the church, also in this act of sacrificial love and obedience. And for marriage and in wedding ceremonies, we have a way of raising the stock of what love is and what obedience is. This is what it looks like in marriage, and we have a way of diminishing what it means among Christian fellowship. It's not that. It's not that that type of love, that's a husband and wife. That's, 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 but it's interesting how Jesus says in verse 12 that this he commands us, that we would love one another as I have loved you. To which immediately he says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. What Jesus will ultimately do is lay down his life for the bride, and he has called us to love one another with this agape, sacrificial type of love. So we're called to raise the stock of what brotherly love is, sacrificial love. And here he's, he is describing for us that Jesus is the ultimate friend, for he is the one who has loved us in this way perfectly, he is the one who has now said, you're no longer a slave, but you are a friend. He is the one who has bought us with a price. He is the one who says, you have now been chosen. You're, the Father chose you and gave you to me, and I will guarantee your salvation, your rescue. 
And therefore, with the work of the Spirit of God, all the work of pruning and grafting is so, so that you and I, who are now in him, would bear much fruit. And that that fruit would be manifested in the way that we worship, but also in the way that we love one another. How are we loving one another, Grace Church? How are we living our lives in this moment together? See, because the thing is, if we have been connected to the vine, that's not just a personal thing. Oh, yes, salvation is a personal reality. We've trusted in Jesus. Our eyes have been opened. We've been grafted into the vine. There's life running through us, his life in us. We've been transformed. But guess what? You're not the only branch on the vine. You have the privilege of living your life for Jesus in the context of other vines, other branches around you, the same vine, other branches. Oh, if we have union with Christ, we could rejoice knowing that he is powerfully working in us and that he's pruning us and sanctifying us, but he's doing that to all of us who have trusted in him so that all of us together would bear much fruit. All of us in the context of the local church. So I hope you see even in this passage how your lives, believers, are knitted together for Jesus. That those of you who are members of this local church who have been affirmed in your faith and your faith is being guarded in this church, that the hope is and that the idea is that you will, would bear fruit among the brethren and that together as we all bear fruit, we can make much of Jesus and be the light of the world and be a, a city on a hill, be light in the midst of darkness. So I want us to realize as a church, as a local church, the same for Providence Road, that if this is true, that then we are most alive when we are in the context of the local church. Life is most meaningful when we're bearing fruit together. So I tell you, if we're going to trust in this union with Christ, that he is working in us and that we can rejoice in the fruit-bearing reality of the Spirit of God in us, know this, that this happens in the context of your church. So how are you loving the local church? Kevin DeYoung was right in that video. There is no such thing as a believer who is disconnected from the church. The Bible, that is foreign to the New Testament, foreign to all the apostles. Christians belong to the body. Christians belong to the vine, as the vine dresser is doing what only he can do so that we would bear much fruit. So Christian, member of Grace Church, how are you loving God, sanctifying in your life, in the context of Grace Church. Is this, is this for you a side gig? Well, I'm supposed to find the church, so I've always been to church. I've always gone to church. My parents took me to church, so I think it's a good check mark in heaven. Oh, so I went on Sunday. Great. We're, we're thankful you came, sincerely. But have you realized that if you are in Christ, your life is most alive among the body of Christ. And, most, and the most purpose is found and meaning for your life amongst the body of Christ. So therefore, give of yourself, your time, your talent, 
your treasure, all of it, for the sake of making much of Jesus together with other believers in this place. How do you do that? Well, honor and submit to your elders who are watching over your souls. Outdo one another in showing honor. Trusting that the Lord is at work in you. Non-believer, non who, who might be here visiting, you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, you don't know him as Savior and Lord. Listen, what you need to understand is that Jesus is your only way to salvation. <laughs> Only in him can you find peace with God. But I promise you that following Jesus Christ doesn't mean an easier life. It might mean a more difficult life. So the win is not a better life here under the sun. The win is to have Jesus himself. Where then being found in him, there's great purpose in life, a great hope of eternity, and then we will be with him forever and ever in glory. What more of a, a more beautiful promise is that from God? That we would live in a world where there will be no more tears, no more death, no more crying. A world that we don't know, yet the promises of our Savior is that he has dealt with our sin on the cross. He became our propitiation. He appeased the wrath of God in order to save sinners of whom he has delighted to gather together in a local church so that they could practice in this life what they will be in the future the safest place to find yourself in relationship to God is within the context of the local church because you found Jesus there. If you're not a believer, I exhort you, repent of your sin, trust in the Savior, and find in this local church the place where you could find the meaning of your life with others. And perhaps you're here visiting and you are a believer and, and, but you are just church hopping. You're just visiting here, Grace, today, and next week you'll visit some other church and you just want to live your life disconnected. You, you don't want anybody meddling in your business, in your life. You could do it on your own. Again, there's no such thing as a, as a, as a loner Christian. You need a local church because that's what God designed for you. For you to be vulnerable, for you to be helped, for you to, you who have the Spirit of God, for you to also be one who brings help to others, to edify others. We need each other, those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ. So find a church. I can recommend Grace Church, that's for sure. Stay here, this imperfect church. If you're looking for a perfect church, don't find one because you'll mess it up if you join it. Stay here where the gospel is preached, where lives are transformed, where a, a believers want to do life together, where it's not, you know, it's not the lights and how fancy we are and, and it's how much truth is being proclaimed in song and in word. And then we, we, we get to respond to it. All possible because the Lord has been good, because the Lord has called us to himself because the vine dresser has connected us, grafted us to the vine and these branches that, that, that otherwise would be burned and thrown away in his kindness. We have life because we've been grafted in Christ, united to Christ. Therefore, we could rejoice knowing that he's powerfully at work in us. We will bear fruit and we could enjoy the process and the fruit that God produces among us. 
Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May God draw you nearer to Him through His Word. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami.